Episode 7 and Happy New Year to you, the listener. Since 2016, the Illawarra soccer slash football public has superbly supported its proud history being displayed on the Football United vs Soccer City social media mediums. I am thankful and appreciate the ongoing support, especially for the new venture, this podcast. This episode is a great interview, as it details an impressive soccer journey, but I believe there is more to come from this man in football and in public life generally. A younger man compared to my previous interviewees, Michael Santalab's experience at all levels of the game is immense. This interview engages you in a football sense and in regards to your life. Please enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed spending time with Michael. What a great guy. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. It's a beautiful day and it's going to get hotter here post-Christmas. I'm here with Michael Sandalab and I'm very respectful and very appreciative of him uh, giving up his time in the holiday season to uh, do this interview. So welcome Michael. Thanks for having having me, Mark. Here on the podcast we uh, go through people that have had various careers and have done different things in the game and and Michael has ticked quite a few of those boxes. So um, I guess we'll start from the beginning. Um, You were born in Canberra in the late 70s um, and then I guess your first organised soccer game was um, you know, under sevens to under, ten, under tens at Unandera Hearts. So, how did we get from uh, Canberra to Unandera? And tell us a bit about that, um, your early part of your family life, um, a bit about your family, and, and that sort of starting of your soccer life. Yeah, so um, mum and dad obviously came out from Croatia at, a, at quite a young age. Um, they met when they, they got here, and then we ended up uh, in Canberra due to, to work. Dad was um, Dad was a bricklayer by trade, yep. and um, yeah, so pretty much where all the work was happening at the time. And um, mum and dad met, and yeah, born in Canberra, '79, and we moved to Wollongong again for work reasons for the parents. Um, three years after that, and yeah, been in the gong ever since. So, and do you have any uh, sort of vague recollections of those time? At Unandera? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember my first game, um, I, was, I think I was six playing sevens. And, um, you know, the old you know, all the Unandera hearts, fruit maroon, yeah. maroon and white. And, uh, yeah, I didn't have time to get the socks, so I rocked up with Parramatta Eel socks wearing the, the maroon kit, which is pretty, made for good photos. <laughs> that is interesting. And do you, did you always have a... A sort of want to play the game or was it the your parents wanted you to get out and do something or was it a bit of both I think it probably more came naturally yep. um, I mean we were always outdoors as kids um, even before soccer days and I think um, I mean I watched I mean dad play I watched dad play once um, but it was just something that we sort of naturally fell into really and you know mum and dad were pretty happy to to take us down the down the oval, and it was close to home, down the road from where we lived, um, and yeah, sort of just fell into our laps, really. So, uh, backtracking slightly, so with your your dad, did he play here in in the Gong? Did he? Um, yeah, he so he played originally in Canberra, yeah, um, just for the Croatian club in yep. Canberra, 
Um, and then he tried, or he played for a small party, and he um, got jack of the politics and uh, <laughs> wrapped it up pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I think politics has got a lot of people in the region, but uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> so when you, um, you're playing for Unandera Hearts for those first three years, um, enjoying it, um, yep. and then you moved on to Illawarra Junior Soccer representation... Or I think you were saying from 11s to 13s. Yep. Did you know it yourself that you sort of had um, some form of ability? Or for you it was just it happened in the background that oh, your parents, I guess, got notified that there was trials and then you went there? Or how did that come about? So, yeah, so, I mean, look, football for me was just more about just a natural... Sort of, um, without boasting a natural talent yep. so it was pretty much and I was pretty lucky that you know whatever sport I sort of ch- chose to play I, I was pretty good at it so um, I mean there was a time there back when I was sort of 9, 10, 11 where I was playing cricket, tennis and soccer all in the one season oh, wow. and it got to a point where the tennis coach said to me Mike you need to make a decision <laughs> the soccer coach and the cricket coach were telling me the same thing um, so I sort of just pretty much just used my in- chose you know chose football with with the instinct really, um, but yeah I mean Unidera Arts was a ma- it was it was it was an awesome time. Um, funnily enough, I spent all my pro career playing defender, but all my junior career I played striker. So yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Some t- people do uh, have various positions in their junior career versus their senior career, yeah. so you're no different. Yeah, I looked there was a bit of a, a bit of a turning point with with that side of it where. Um, yeah, I was pretty much banging goals up until the age of sort of 11. Yep. Um, and then one coach decided that uh, there was someone else who would rather play in the position yep. for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up being moved to right fullback at the time. And oh, wow. got me out of the match in that game and then sort of didn't, didn't move forward after that. So the, the representative scene at that time, um, you didn't really see it as... Um, representative football, you just saw it as another opportunity to to play soccer on yeah, the Yeah, so, I mean, look, like, you know, back in the time, at that time, there was basically club football to 11s. Yep. Uh, sorry, to 10s. And then the Illawarra reps kicked in 11s. And at that time, back in that day, I'm speaking like I'm only 60 years old, right? Yep. But um, the Illawarra scouts, or the Illawarra people who were scouting, basically watched our matches, yep. and we got hand-picked through application or a letter or an invitation to come and play for the reps the following year. So that's how the Illawarra reps eventuated. It wasn't so much of a trial or anything. It was more just yep. being hand-picked. And was that a bit of a buzz for you at the time? Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, a lot of a few of my mates from club level and even, like, you know, when you're playing against the same players for two or three years, even at that young level, you become you know each other as yep. you're playing on. And, um, so yeah, so, I mean, obviously all the sort of elite guys in the area came together and it was pretty cool. We had a really good unit in that, in that first year at Illawarra Under-11s. And we're and still mates today. And that's an important part and we'll, we'll talk about that later. With, with those uh, Unandera days and then even those couple of years of Illawarra representative junior soccer... Do you remember your coaches and, yeah, and, so and, and, dad, and the memories of them? So my, I remember my first coach, yeah, um, Greg, Greg Thompson, I think it was, back in the day, yeah. And, um, and then my dad coached for, for, from sort of the eights, eights through to the tens, eights, not seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah, because I doubled up. So, so yeah, dad was, I mean, probably the hardest, one of the hardest coaches I've had, you know. <laughs> There's no leeway with him. So it was good. It was good. Good learning. It was actually, when I look back, you know, it's you're sort of at the time you're thinking... 
man, this, this guy's all over me, you know. <laughs> he won't let me step out of line. And, and now that I've coached my own son, and I still am, and um, you understand, you understand how you just want your son to be the leader or show yeah. example. I mean, if, if, if he deviates, like I used to deviate here and there, it doesn't reflect on him either, you know. Yeah. So if he's if I'm milking the system, all the other kids are going to do it as well. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So it was in, enjoyable in that sense. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. You then uh, moved on from the Illawarra representative scene to the the Wollongong Wolves setup, um, and I think you played your sort of under fourteens through to the um, national um, NSL youth league. Yeah. So again, it was just another progression from in that representative career yeah. that Illawarra stopped at some point and then the Wolves started? Pretty much, yeah. So it was like a sort of a simultaneous transition. So the Illawarra reps essentially went to the Wolves. Okay. Or, you know, so there wasn't both. It was basically yep. one. Um, so it, it was a pretty smooth transition just from being part of the Illawarra rep scene to, to moving to the Wolves in the same, same league, same setup, essentially. But, I mean, the Wolves obviously ran it. Not the old um, ISA, yeah. ISA, I think it was, yeah. So for you, were um, were you into the NSL at that point in time? Um, and, and was it a even bigger buzz to be sort of part of uh, NSL set up? Yeah, I think once we've become under the walls banner, yep. then obviously we, we did a lot of our training at the outside fields at Brandon Park. Yep. Um, we became more involved in the first team stuff, whether it was going to matches or ball boys or integrating a little bit more. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you sort of got a bit more of a feel and, you know, some of the best memories are at the Old Marina Park watching, yeah, watching the first facility. team. Not only, not only watching, but, you know, walking around the back of the hill and grabbing a, grabbing, grabbing a canteen and hanging out with the mates on the hill. Yeah, it was definitely a meeting point for, for people of various ages and mm. it's sad that we've lost that, that facility, that's for sure. When you, um, outside of these times playing for the Wolves... Um, are you into football non-stop during the week? Uh, is it, you know, the European leagues that you're following? Or, or like you said, you're into tennis and cricket and whatnot. Are you just sports mad? It's pretty much sports mad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, I used to do extra extra sessions, but not so, not even so much as a kid. Um, we are always doing something, you know, whether we're outside kicking the ball around, playing cricket, swinging the tennis racket on our bikes. I mean, it was... We're multitasking. We're doing multidisciplinary sport. We're doing a heap of different stuff. Um, so it was, yeah, we might have done one or two extra sessions before school. I remember doing some sessions with um, with a couple of coaches at the uni before school, but that was more in high school age yep. group. Um, but yeah, it was just just being active and just doing stuff all the time, and and you're developing and learning skills. The best the best way to learn is on the street. Yep. You know, backyard street. There's no rules, and you basically have to make your own decisions at that time. I know uh, myself with uh, having a, an older brother who was two years, um, it was always very competitive in the backyard or front yard or at the local park with friends, uh, I'm assuming with your brother. Yeah. Um, he's probably two or three years. I'm, uh, yeah, he's three, I'm right. three years younger. Yeah, I'm yeah. imagining there was that sort of uh, um, going, toing and froing there between each yeah. other, playing. It's great to have the brother there, but... Yeah sort of playing yeah, against look, each other we as well? Yeah, we used to have a, not, a, a decent-sized rumpus room downstairs of mum's, yep. and um, we'd put a brand-new pair of uh, soccer socks on, you know, yep. the thick soles and all, and 
couple of hours later, there'd be there'd be holes in the soles, <laughs> and you know we'd cop the stamping from the top from the top room to, to quieten that up, or the ball would hit the roof, or hit you know break a few light bulbs. But and yeah, you know, we used to get together with friends, um, and you know it'd be myself and one of the other brothers of our mates, and against myself and uh, against Brendan and, and another guy, you know, yeah. or his brother, and we just literally kicked the hell out of each other for two, <laughs> two, three, four hours, you know. Um, but yeah, it was indirectly it builds you you know yeah. it builds builds your builds your confidence builds your mental physical strength because you're dealing with it's like anything you know you get the youngest child syndrome and they're playing with the older kids all their life and they get the kick, the crap kicked out of them all the time and they're better for it you know in, in the long run yeah definitely <laughs> to I'm, an extent I, I, I definitely learned <laughs> that way as well you then add the wolves and then you're in the the wolves youth team and i think we're talking here um probably 96 yeah around, around that about, mark around yeah. about that mark you know and I'm not disparaging um, representative football before that but did you know in yourself um, that it was not getting serious but you know you're one you're one team away from the first team so did you sort of have that in the back of your mind and were you did you have your own objectives and and sort of um, I guess ambition to maybe get into that first team once those once you started going through the yeah, ranks I think of the wolves. For me, it, it sort of got. I mean, I haven't known anything other than football since I was since I pretty much started playing. Um, it got to probably the you know the, the, the teenager age where you start started making state teams, yep. um, rep team, you know, local rep teams, and you start making the state teams, start playing in national tournaments, um, and it was at that sort of. 14, 15 period where I sort of thought, you know what, this is going to happen. Something's going to happen now, and it's up to me how far I want to go with it. Yep. And it got to, you know, I got to the 16s at the Wolves. Um, the next step was to play the youth team, and a, a heap of three or four of us, or about three or four of us, transitioned from there to the to the National Youth League team. Um, and then, you know, we got to engage and train with, and a few of us got selected at times to train with the first team. Um, I remember my first session with the Wolves, Nick Theo was coaching and we played a half field possession and we had to basically man mark someone and I got chippers, <laughs> right? So here, chippers runs all day and here I am chasing around like a rabbit, get, got about three touches in 45 minutes and Nick, Nick pulled me in after the session and he's like, so Mike, how'd you, how'd you go, mate? And tongue was hanging on the floor and he could see, he could see how I was looking and um, I said it was great. You know, and just you know, it's just experience, you know. But I, I knew at that point, and you know, I really, when you get a sniff of something, you get a taste of it. Yep. You know, that's what you want. And you know, I wanted to be playing on the main pitch at Brandon Park in front of you know, the first time. You know, and then after, yeah, I mean, after we can go on with the story. But after that, then you know, they always came along, and and then I went from there. So you talk about some of those guys that you've been playing with three or four years who are some of those players that you had that, shared that journey with into the Wolves youth team um, so there was well Milo Sadowski is one yep. so he was one who, who went through the, to the Wolves youth team and he actually played some first team um, stuff with the Wolves before we went to the AOS I, I think um, there was some other guys oh, there, was a, there was a range of guys who played through the rep teams um, Matt Bailey was one Matt yep. Bailey the local guy here um, I think off memory now. Paul Dimmich was one, another one. Chad Bishop was another one. 
So there's so some strong four or five strong players yeah. that forged careers. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, whether it was you know when you say career, I mean you know if you're playing local league and making money out of it, it's a career, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. You know what I mean? So They've all forged successful careers. Hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, just as a side there, and uh, show off a little bit. I always, it's not. It's just a <laughs> throw it in, <laughs> throwaway comment that I always uh, make the comment with uh, Millay that he was a Kira high boy like myself, and he was the year below, and and uh, he used to dominate on the basketball courts even at that point, and always say to people, yeah, I used to. I taught him everything he knows. When really, you're just trying to ride off someone else's coattails. So I was a, I was a Kira for a year as well. Yeah, in his year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then went to the AOS from I was part year eleven that I was there, and then for the remainder I went to Cam- Canberra. Okay. I don't have any recollections of that. I was. I can add that into the story <laughs> stories later on. With um, the AIS or the Australian Institute of Sport for people that don't know the initials, um, what did that? How did that come about? And and can you tell us a bit about that experience? Because I guess. NSL is is you know um, great to sort of play and we'll get into your NSL career, but the AIS sort of had this for me it's always been revered and being put on a pedestal. Can you sort of talk to your experience there, how it came about, and and what you thought of the whole setup there? Yeah, <clears throat> so I was playing Wolves Youth League or Na- National Youth Team at the time in the NSL. Um, my coach at the time, Larry Gaffney knows well knew of Steve O'Connor who was the head coach at AIS at the time um, and pretty much just put put my name forward um, and went down there spent spent a week with with the guys down there just on trial it was I remember it was like January first week of January went down in January for a trial and the the end of the week um, Rox basically said to me look we haven't got any scholarships available right now but we'll, we've seen you we like what we see, and we'll, we'll basically just put you on hold, and to if if and when something comes up. Um, and then, yeah, I pretty much remember coming home from Kira one day afternoon. Yeah. I walked in the door, in the back door at Mum and Dad's, and Mum's standing in front of me crying. I'm like, "What, what the hell's wrong with you, Mum?" She, she's like, "We got a call from Steve O'Connor, and they want you to go to AIS." And I'm like, oh, "Wow!" And I was sort of like, I've half frozen, sort of half teared up myself. And, um, yeah, so that's how it sort of came about. And from there, I went down and pretty much spent 12, 12 months down there. So I guess before we get into maybe the science and, and the facilities and what the rest of that experience meant, um, sometimes we, uh, and I know you don't, and that's why I want to talk about it, the support um, of parents during these sort of um, people that are talented, like yourself, where parents sacrifice and give up a lot and you know I'm assuming those tears meant a lot from both you and your mum in terms of what she thought it would mean about time of her son being away but how proud she must have been and then talk a bit about what your parents did for you to get you to that point. Yeah I mean look they pretty much like any parent who supports their kids doing following their dream right they they pretty much didn't miss a beat with training sessions and this was Sydney this was interstate this was everywhere um, yeah I mean what do you say they just pretty much committed to the course from day one as well and they were along the journey saw the, the ups and downs and still do it still do you know with my, with my brother going out there and doing what he does they don't miss a match doesn't matter 
and we'll, we'll I'll tell you about the stories about you know the travelling they did while I was at the AIS. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's just you know they can see how much hard work goes into it, and you know the roller coaster of emotions, mentally and physically that it that you go through as well. And so yeah, it was probably part relief and part sadness that big boy wasn't at home anymore. And so twelve months at the AIS, clearly you've got to move down there and and be away from the family. Um, how did you find those twelve months? You know, I guess mentally. And, and then what about the football side as well? How was that? Yeah, look, the transition is pretty daunting at first, especially, I mean, I knew a few of the guys, but you, you're coming out of, you know, your comfort zone here and you're moving into an environment which you're just so not familiar with in respect of facilities, in respect of being away from home, um, new players, new coaches, you know, you've got to obviously forming new friendships again, but it's, it's different, you're living there with them. So you're day in, day out with so people. So you're on campus with the players. Yeah, correct. So I mean, we had our own rooms yep. um, within the residence, but you're pretty much on each other's face 24-7. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was the hardest, probably the hardest thing, the adjusting. Mentally, I was okay. Um, there were times where, you know, you, you can get pretty low, especially when you when you form or you, you know, you, you know what it's like with playing, you're always sort of up and down. You can go through a rut and feel like you're never going to get out of it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't pass the ball three metres. Um, but then other days you can hit, hit 50 metres on the fly 10 times in a row. Um, I had fam- I've got family, I mean, being born there, yeah. I've got my auntie and uncle and my, um, my grandma down there and cousins, so I used to catch up with them on a weekend. Um, so it sort of made it a little bit easier for me, but, I mean, yeah, look, it's, you're out of home at 17, it's, it can get pretty tough at times. And I guess uh, having that extended family there, um, I guess you had extra time with them that you wouldn't normally so that would have been a comfort in itself. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. So I mean we we obviously still, you know grew up with spending a lot of time with each other and but yeah, Sundays was awesome. Um, my uncle lives still does lives on a, on the back of a, a golf course. So Sunday afternoons was pretty much a nine holes walk around the golf course and have a bit of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're talking here sort of 97 98. Yep. Um, so I guess there's there's no um, you know, it's a landline call home. It's, there's no FaceTime. Yeah. There's no um, sort of interacting with friends from home either. You, you're sort of sacrificing for your own ambition, uh, you yeah. know, your friendships back in Wollongong and as well as your family. So, yeah, um, yeah that must have been tough. In yeah, I mean, look, football took me all around the, all around the place. So it was pretty hard to, to form, I suppose, really true friendships because you're just hopping everywhere. Um, but don't get me wrong like you know we've, from all the time playing football as I said like back in the days where 9s, 10s, 11s and you know I see all my all mates who I was in those rep teams with now and it's like it's yesterday yeah. you know you catch up and you know some of the good you know some of the guys are coaching locally and you know wrapping up their playing or still carrying the flag in, amateur, in the amateurs or the other 35s or whatever it is and um, you know you, you, you always continue to, to have that common common bond um, but look back to the AOS days. I mean, if it wasn't to put it out there, if it wasn't for that twelve months football-wise, then I probably wouldn't have achieved anything I've achieved in my career. It was, I believe, it was the best place to learn as a footballer, to grow up, um, and essentially, like like anything, you're the onus is put on you, right? Yep. You put in what you 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 get out of it, what you put in. Um, the facility and the environment there was for you to to get the best out of it that you possibly wanted yourself you know gym nutrition um, 
recovery stuff, you know, um, the coaches. I mean, they were like fathers, right? Yep. Uh, pretty much like fathers and, and, and mentors. Um, but the difference I found between now and then is is that the best players in the country were all together, right? And they were hand-picked. So yep. you got your best 20, 23, 24, and they're all in one centre of excellence, right? Not dispersed amongst... Different teams. Billions of academies, right? So the, the elite was the elite. And the way that it was back then is that they, they basically groomed the OAS intake for the under-17s and the under-20s Aussie teams and the 23s. And, but for me, the development in my football, um, even though at the time I probably wasn't mentally in the zone yet, still young. I mean, yep. some, some get in that, that mindset quicker. Um, for me, it took longer. I mean, I, I'm sort of... I didn't really understand myself and understand football until I stopped playing professionally believe it or not um, or the last year that I spent in Malaysia where you sort of it all just it all clicks yep. for me and that's when it all sort of clicked maybe, yeah I mean some may say it was too late but for me that's when it all happened yeah yeah I guess uh, the AIS and, and what it um, provided a, Australian soccer and, and many other sports is is definitely another story we'll, we'll probably leave that to FNR um, and, and, and the world game to talk about that, but it, like I always um, saw it and put it on a pedestal myself. You know, you're, yeah. you're taking an analytical and scientific approach to to athletes' well-being mentally and physically, and I think it could only be positive for yeah. the people playing their respective sports. So you end that um, scholarship during this time. Is that when you? Uh, um, were selected in the under twenties Australian team, or did no, that come a little bit? Came later? a little bit later, yeah. So we came out of the AOS and um, we signed a lot. When I say we, I signed um, for Sydney United yep. at the time. And so, how did the sorry, did wrong? How did that come about? That you know, you'd come from the Wolves and played a few years there. I'm assuming they would have potentially wanted you back as well. Um, and I don't want to make the simplistic uh, assumption that. Croatian club that you just joined there I'm assuming it was many reasons that you selected them and they wanted you? Well essentially without sugarcoating it um, I had a meeting teed up with Wollongong yep. um, which they didn't show to Oh wow! and pretty much at simultaneously when the Croatian club in Sydney heard that we were out of the AIS um, literally a day after they rang me and I mean, through family and friends, we know we knew people that yep. that were involved up there as well, and pretty much, yeah, signed signed with them because you know it was just it was just one of those things where yeah, if if someone wants you that bad, they're going to make the effort to yeah, definitely. to take you. And I felt that the effort was being put in more from Sydney than, than to here. My first choice was to play for my local club. Yeah, you know, like any any local kid, they want to play in their own town, but it didn't work out that way. But look, everything happened for a reason, I believe, and. You know, I managed to, after the year one up there, we, you know, played in the grand final. Yeah, let's talk about that year because it's your first year of senior professional football um, and you're playing, and the coach, was it? Dave Mitchell. Dave Mitchell, yeah. wasn't it? Um, so you're with Dave Mitchell, you're at a Denzer Park, you know, and, and I'm sure with your heritage, you... you promised you, land. You probably, you probably knew of it or been there anyway. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you? It must have been a... A sort of proud moment in yeah. that sense, signing up and then, I guess, going on from AIS into a professional, professional position. Yeah. 
So, I mean, look, from the Croatian perspective, um, I even I'm probably more attached to it now than what I have been, what I was as a young age, purely from the fact that we're always out with football or, or other sports that I was playing. So we never we I knew like I knew and and you know through my parents' engagement with their friends and and colleagues and things like that that I I knew you know about your heritage, yeah. right? Um, but I wasn't like fully into it. Yeah. Um, when I say fully, I mean a bit more. Yeah. Embracing it a bit more, right? But yeah, going there, I suppose it sort of opened up a little little window to that to that area of me that I sort of wanted to touch touch into for a long time. Um, and look, you know, it was probably Adenza Park back in the day is one of the best, if not, I mean, even still one of the best facilities in the old NSL. Um, the pitch was always immaculate; like it was one of my favourite pitches. It wasn't wasn't too big, um, and when it was full, the crowd was it was epic. Crowd, you know? crowd, crowd was on top of you. You know, the concrete steps behind them. They got the hill behind the other end, and you know, later on the grandstand got built and stuff, and it was just. It was awesome. Like for me, it was. Well, we call it, we, a lot of the old boys. We call it the promised land still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that first year was a dream, really. And you know, eighteen years old, eighteen, nineteen, going in and you know, basically playing ninety percent of the games in that year. We won the minor premiership. I'll, I'll call that the league championship. I don't think it's minor. Well, it's, it's home and away, and I think he's got past South Melbourne by a point. Yeah. So it came down to the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, we it? played them. Uh, we, I think we played them on the final day, or two. No, sorry, the second last game, and um, we actually beat them one nil at home. And then um, we, the last game of the year, I, remember, I clearly remember we played Gippsland Falcons. Yep. One more, yeah, back at our ground, yep. and um, there was about eight, eight or nine thousand there, wow. and and then uh, yeah, we ended up winning I think three nil along those lines at the t- at, on that date, and the party went on in the club afterwards. That's for sure. Well, eight or nine thousand—that's um, sort of uh, people. Um, and I have my own point of view, and I'll, I'll put that across now. That you know, I'm, I think uh, some of the old NSL clubs, excluding financials and other things that I might not understand, but I think we need um, some of those old clubs back in in the A League. Um, I think they bring a lot for various reasons. So it must have been there would have been a real community connection there and eight and nine thousand people yeah and Gippsland weren't really bringing any away fans that day <laughs> no no so no. it would have been fantastic yeah, it was pretty much all us yeah and you were position wise uh, still where were you playing so that year? so that year I was a bit of everywhere to be honest um I mean we had season campaigners playing at the back so we had, you had the likes of uh, I've got a list here and I apologize I'm no Les Murray but you had uh Sturjowski, um you had uh, Pleasure, Berry, Townsend, Kuprizak, Verkic, Gibson, Day, Ardoni, Griffiths. So yeah. it was a pretty talented. Yeah, it was. And South Melbourne had a great team as oh, well. Oh yeah, like that was. It was funny that team. Like at the start of the year, no one gave us a hope, right? Because we had we had a mix of old guys, like old yeah. guys who'd been playing in the NSL for quite a, quite a few years. Um, but then we had a lot of us young guys. So you know, Griffo, myself, Millet, um, Mitch brought in Nathan Day. Um, we've brought in some state league guys, so Steve Berry, Peter Bennett, these guys, Danny Townsend. No one had ever heard of them other than the state league level. So, so a lot of people so, taking their chances. Yeah, and but one thing, like you know, you've played in many teams, and you just can't build that team camaraderie, that team spirit. And from day one, the, we had it, and it was just it was to this day, it's probably the, one of those teams, if if the the only team where everything personality wise. Um, and just the person, you know, the p- footballing abilities, it, just it all just clicked, you know. And Mitch and Laurie sort of 
just managed it. You know, they managed it. They were pretty enthusiastic, and they were young in the coaching game at that time as well. So it was more, it was more the environment that they created, which enabled us just to express ourselves really. And you know, luck went luck went our way. But you know, we were entertaining as hell. We were entertaining. We were hard work as well, though. Oh yeah, like we, you know, we busted our guts that year. You know, we we were pretty fit, and we, you know, but yeah, it was just one of those seasons where it all all just clicked. And they were bigger seasons back then as well, 30-odd games, and, and you're going all around Australia. Uh, where was your mind at, I guess, looking back at it now? Um, and even then, you must have been pretty stoked that, OK, I'm travelling all around the country. You know, you know you're just there to play games, but still, it's a, yeah. it's a huge thing that yeah. you then hit, hit the NSL, the number one league, and, and playing with these bunch of blokes, and you win the league. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like... At the time, you sort of you don't grasp like the older guys had more perspective on it, yep. right? Because they'd been playing for so long, and especially when it got to the finals time or the grand final, you can just see that they had they were in a different zone because they know that they knew that it didn't happen every day, yep. right? Where us young guys we're coming in and we made the finals in year one, and we played in the grand final as well, and you think this is going to happen every year. I never played in another grand final in my life. Right? So it's just like, now I look back, I'm like, man, I should have just embraced that weekend and yeah. that game itself and just sort of been more in the moment. I mean, it's hard, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. you're playing a game of football. But the pre and post, you can really embrace it and, and even just prepare yourself mentally um, for what's ahead. You know, where you've sort of been young, you know what you're like, 18, 19, who gives two rats, yep. right? This is just another game, we'll have another one next year, you know? Didn't never happened for me, and and that grand final, uh, even though um, you lost, it was still a great game from memory. I've got vague recollections from of South it. Melbourne's in. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was still it's still you know a good game. But what were your memories of it? And because it had a, it had some goals as well. Yeah, three two it ended two, up. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. Oh, um, for me, it was it was probably one of, if not the highlight of my career. Um, I played about an hour yep. before I got dragged, and um, I had I, for me, I probably played one of the best games I've ever played in that grand final. Um, mm-hmm. Set up, set up the first goal, and I was marking um, Goran Lozanovski at the time. Wow! And good left pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much without boasting, pretty much kept him at bay, and you know, made him work for the hour that I wasn't that I was on the field for. Um, yeah, the minute sort of I came off. It all sort of went the other way a little bit. Well, Ange Postacoglu was a coach of South Melbourne at the time. Yep. He brought on a guy called John Anastasiadis yep. and literally scored off his first touch to, to equalise and then scored about two minutes later yeah. to take him up. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was sort of mixed emotions that game, like personally to the point where I played. But, I mean, you know, the result and the team stuff takes over. Yeah, know? definitely. You still, even though you probably... Uh, I've lost grand finals. You, it doesn't matter where they are; they they can hurt and stick in your memory a bit. Um, how was it for you? You obviously upset, but did you reflect on it and say, "Well, hey, we won the league," um, which is probably more impressive in my opinion, home and away. But to make the grand final and be part of that still must be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I look back. I think I've only got the footage on the old the old video cassette. Yep. Um, which I think we might have got onto DVD, but yeah, there's there's not much memory of a visual there. But yeah, I mean, look, that that year basically 
defined my career and put me on the in the shop window. Yep. Yeah, eighteen year old, and from there I I pretty much got selected to go into camp for the twenties. Um, went into camp for three months with the Olympic team, the twenty threes, um, and you know ended up selling another couple of years with the new Parramatta Power franchise at the time, um, and then sort of you know mapped that sort of mapped out my next five six years of pro career just by being in the shop window. So that. Um after that season, you, you talk about uh, being an Australian representative or being selected in the squad. Uh, can you talk a bit about that in terms of um, you talk about that sort of happened together, the 20s and the 23s? Um, what was the setup like? Um, how did you find out about the selection? Yeah, so, so the, 20s, the 20s was during the season yeah. um, and it was just the camp. So we pretty much went into camp. I can't remember how long for and we played um, a couple... I think we played two or three games against the South Korea. Okay. And they touched us up. Like they were just just another level. Like sharpness, discipline. You just we used to just watch them warming up, um, training and they were just animals. Just full discipline. And um so yeah, that that twenties was only that one one selection camp and then um Les Schoenfleur was a coach. He picked yep. the squad to go to Nigeria, I think, for the World Cup. I didn't make the squad. Um which, you know, I mean, yeah, disappointing at the time, but, I mean, I stayed back and continued playing NSL. So it was we were mid-season and pretty much focused on, Winning on NSL, yeah. So with you, was it just those, um, you know, you talk about being in the rumpus room with your brother with a new pair of socks, you know, um, at that point when you selected the squad, I'm imagining you're getting some gear, you must have been yeah. pretty proud, yeah, and, and I'm assuming the family as well, to be... Part of the squad, yeah, let alone playing NSL, you're, you're now selected as part of a national squad. Yeah, I remember, I remember playing the game against Korea yeah. in your national jersey. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't play any higher, you know, yeah. other than the soccer it was like it's, it, was, it's, it was epic, right? You're standing there and you're lined up before the game and you've got, you look down and you're wearing the nation, national kit, all right? Wow. Um, yeah, goosebumps. You know, in front of 500 people at Park Lee, you know, yeah, but it matter. didn't matter. It could have been 500,000 there. Um, yeah, it's a special feeling. Yeah, there's like football. It's funny, right? You can only get you only get rewarded in in certain ways, right? You can get a trophy for winning stuff as a team. Personally, you don't get many accolades, right, or awards. I mean, other than Player of the Year or Golden Boot awards. Yeah. But it's the little moments like that where you yeah. you you look down and you look at the jersey you've got on, or you know you embrace an environment. You know, it's all it's all picture stuff. It's all memory stuff. Yeah, that's right. Right, and that's they're more of the awards that you get personally, and, and it's very hard unless you communicate like this to, to get that out in the open. Yeah, I, I just you know just I guess being with Les and and I'm assuming there were some of your other AIS uh, cohorts that had made it through to that squad as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, just being in the sheds it must have been just a cool feeling at Parkley just. Pulling on the jersey, you know, putting the socks on, yeah, and, yeah. and just going through through people, your pre-match routine. People yeah. have their routines. Yeah, um, I guess we talked about. Well, I said it just then. Did you have a routine that you always stuck to? Some what people do. I I know I always um, uh, I played a bally, so I always you know I was a bit of a nervous player, so I always liked to go to one side of the urinal before I went out, you know, and. And sort of look at the wall at a certain spot, and then make sure I put my shin pads on last sort of thing. So, was there something that you did? Yeah. So I always, it's funny. I always used to go. Um, so like right shin pad, 
left shin pad, yep. right sock, left sock, yep. right boot, left boot. So it was always in that order. And had that started at a younger time for you? Uh, or it was probably more when we become more when we got to the change room stuff. Yeah. So probably more the Illawarra reps okay. or mid mid teens. So you've been doing. And this I just for a stuck while. to it. I basically just I don't know. It wasn't a superstitious thing. It's just basically that's what I fell into, and yeah. I basically used that up until the day that I stopped playing. Yeah, it's just one of those weird it's, things. It's uh, very, like I said, it might not interest a lot of people, but it interests me. So that's why I asked it. <laughs> So you you come back to Sydney United, um, and then how did the um, when did the under twenty threes? Yeah, so that pretty much I got the phone call for the twenty threes the week after the grand final. Yep. Um, I rolled my ankle in the grand final early on in the first half, which I just kept play, played through. But post it was pretty much like strain ligaments. Yep. So, but I got the call from from the um, the head of whoever it was at the time, um, Peter, I think his first name was, from the FFA, yep. or the old um, football Australia, Australia um, saying that they wanted me to come into camp. And that was the week after the grand final. And then pretty much, I think, a few days later, I, w- I went to... The camp was three months. Uh, it was a month in Canberra, a month yep. in Park Lee, and then we travelled to Singapore, New Zealand for the last month. Um, and then during that time, I basically got the treatment and recovered and ended up being part of the camp for pretty much the, the two, last two months of it. And how was that um, three months? And I guess I guess being a younger person, it was okay. You didn't have any sort of attachments apart from your family and, and they must have been, I guess, stoked again. Like, what a season for you to be 20s, 23s, win the league, be part of a grand final, first professional year. It mm. must have been surreal. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I just met my... So during the, the um, grand final year, I met... My wife now oh, at the wow. time, so I met Vicky. What a year. I met Vicky back in '98, and we'd sort of been. We met. We started dating in October, and I mean, we're talking. Uh, what are we talking then? I don't even know what the time frame was, um, but yeah, we were early dating, so to speak. Yeah. When I got called into camp, I was at, I was at her place when I got the phone call. Um, yeah, and and sort of that was probably the hardest part, really. I mean, you know, I lived away from mum and dad um, and my brother. For, for a while before that but yeah being in a new relationship and I mean the main one at the t- and which still is right yeah those sort of feelings yeah, just yeah. To stop I mean you know it's like first yep. first love true love and you know you're, you're away you know so it was endless hours on the phone um, she sneakily she, she popped up a couple a couple times when I was at Park League you know we duck off to <laughs> duck off to have dinner while we are in camp not that anyone knew but yeah we did it and um so yeah, that was and that was probably the hardest juggle. Really, was was new relationship at the time. Um, but Vic always supported me throughout my career, and, and funnily enough, we're total opposites, right? So she's so not into sport or anti-sport, and then yeah, she and all my mates say, yeah, she married a, a guy who played professionally, you know. So it was yeah, it was it was a pretty cool time. And those three months, um, was it just? Uh, just again, cool to be part of a national setup and uh, be amongst like-minded athletes and in the highest possible position for your age group that yeah. you could be in the land. Yeah, whenever you get to, whenever we used to get together in camp, I mean, the AIS was sort of a grounding for it because you're with the best players, right? So every single training session, every single game, everything you do, like. You, you're competing with the best. So you were ready for right. that based on AIS as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I was young compared to... Because it's 23s, right? So I was 18, 19, early 19. Um, 
where a lot of the other guys were were you know already 21 22 right so the, there was a bit of an age group age difference there but you have to raise you got to lift your game yep. you know you're out of your comfort zone yeah he's i was scared shitless at times you know especially being an unknown you know and and you have to go in and you have to earn the only way you earn respect off your fellow players back well, i mean no one it's like now but back in that day was you needed to perform yep right you got the respect on the field and once you once you got the respect on the field, then basically you, that that came off the field. That, that's the way it was. Just transition to that. Yeah, and that was that was the one way you know of of gaining respect off off your peers was delivering on the field. That's the way the culture was. That's how it was. And you you come out of that camp, and 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 that twenty threes was just a camp, was it, or or did that? Yeah, so three month camp. Yeah, so that was pre Sydney Olympics. Um, so yeah, it was just a three month training camp essentially um, where Raul Blanco was the coach and, and I suppose he was just looking at players who probably he hadn't looked at but we also had some of the guys most of the guys who went went to the Olympics um, and played there other than the overseas guys yep. um, but yeah it was just another avenue to be in a closed environment in different conditions you know Singapore with the heat and humidity and the travelling and New Zealand we played some international games against the countries over there as well and and just to be in a day-to-day environment of purely football, it's yeah, like that's that's what it was. And you come out of that camp, and then um, the next move for you professionally as a footballer was to the the franchise that was called Parramatta Power. Yeah. So, um, and I, I saw through going through some of the team lists that uh, a few of the players that you played with at Sydney United had come across. Yeah. How did? You know, how does that come about? Yeah, well, Dave Mitchell and Laurie were behind sort of the the Paramount Power thing yep. as well. Um, so it's just so as easy it was as them. Pretty much the whole squad from United went across. Yep. Yeah, which was, it was, I mean, I don't know the political scenes, what happened behind the scenes, but there was a bit of a shit fight, right, to get, yep. to, for it all to happen. And then when every, basically people deemed it a boycott, right, or a, whatever, a takeover or something, yep. right? Um, but yeah, that was the next step. But that basically provided us with a full-time setup. So we were able to go... Sydney and I were only training two days, three days max a week. Yeah. Um, and we weren't professional. I mean, yes, young guys were. We were employed as trainees at the club. We lived there, yeah. um, working in the office. We were doing a sports admin course at the same time. Um, but Parramatta was a full-time thing. You know, training every day. We, we shared everything with the Parramatta Eels. So yeah. we pretty much used the facilities at Paris Stadium, the gym... Um, so there is a link back to Unendera Hearts where you go to a training session with Parramatta Eels socks. <laughs> well, if you look at it like that, yeah, yeah, I never thought about that, but yeah, it was um, a bit of a link, bit of a link there. And I followed the Eels back in the eighties when they were, when they last. I think we're it was the eighties. I'm not a big league guy, but back in the eighties when Nick Cronin team, and, yep. and um, Ray Price and that were lifting the trophy. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was that that was for two years, and it was it was a hard two years for me personally. Um, I came out of the Ollie Roo camp. Um, with with some knee issues, yep. which basically it was just an overuse thing. So I had to get um, an operation on my right knee, and then four weeks later on the left. So pretty much that first year at Parramatta was just literally on three quarters. It was a right right off essentially um, because I was just continually just in rehab, pretty much. And I know. Um a lot of uh, professional athletes and, and soccer players or football players, um, some clubs uh, look after them well and some don't. And, and how did Parramatta treat you? 
Yeah, look, we had we had full time staff, right? So we had physios who were full time, who had their own practice, but worked with the eels and with us. Um, we had we had full time. Well, the eels had full time um, strength conditioners. Yep. Um, so utilising the gym, utilising physio. So pretty much. So for you, you were disappointed, I guess. So my daily routine was in the physio room or in the gym, training a lot solo, and then coming to team functions with the suit on. You know. So what a what a how did that affect you mentally? Because that can be, uh, you know, you're isolated, and like anything in life, when you're isolated, you know, you can go into your own thoughts. So you're either obviously you got through it because you know. The stats on my page say that you got through it, but how were you yeah. feeling at that point in time after the the year before having such a great yeah, year? Yeah, look for me. I mean, I had a, I've had a few injuries in my career. That was pretty much the start of it. The start of the you know every it was funny. It's, you get some athletes that go through the career without having an injury, right? And then I, with myself, every time I got an injury, it was something major. You know, like later on when I went back to Sydney United, I had I had two ankle operations. Right, so it was just I'd roll an ankle, but I'd rip everything out, everything to bits. So it was just one of those things for me. But but dealing with injury, it actually made me more mentally tough, made more resilient. And I was never one just to be knocked down by by an injury, yeah. because I saw that an opportunity to get back and to get stronger, and to work on the aspects of my body that I wasn't strong enough or better good enough while I was fit. Yeah. So and it's just a it's just a resilience thing, you know, mental toughness thing and. Yeah, learn. I learned after a few rehabs that you know nothing really was that painful. You know, when you're having to deal with the rehabilitation and that first week or two out of an operation theatre, you know, like you, it's it was it's more character building and and more you know personal building really. Yep. And so, did you get onto the field in the latter part of that year? So I think I actually, off memory now, I actually played. I think I played. More trying to think of when or... I had. I'm th- trying to think of when I actually had the in- the opera. I had it, I had the operation. Sorry, I had the operation after the, at the end towards the end of the first season. So I played in and out yep. that first year with the first team, and then I had the op towards the end of that year, first year. So the second year was pretty much the write off. Yep. Yeah. Because I see there um, that in that second year, that sort of 2000 2001 season, um, that's when you. That's the first opportunity you got to with your brother at a professional level yeah yeah so, so that was cool so how was that because yes. uh, I guess a lot of us like I played a lot of uh, senior football in, a, in an amateur sense with my brother and it's you know probably my proudest moment because you get to play with blood it's you know what it's like mm. it's just fantastic mm. apart from playing out in the street yeah. so what about an elite level how is how is that because he's I guess forging his own career yeah and then so he was just starting right so I mean Brandy as a, as a, a young guy was, was tiny right it was small tiny as you know, barely pushing the four foot right? people if they don't know you uh, I guess for the listener yeah, so, you're so, a bit bigger and, and he's yeah, a bit, yeah. so, bit smaller so Brandy was Brandy was a, a goal scorer from day one right he was he was he'd banging goals he was quicker but he was tiny right so no one when he got to sort of the age of 14, 15 no one wanted to touch him because he was tiny you know, you had to be six foot and you had to be strong and an athlete, right? Um, and then it was one of the coaches at Parramatta Power, the, the youth team, Paul McFadden at the time. And he played for the Wolves yep. back in the day. And Paul was coaching and, and um, his assistant, Alan Griffiths, who's Joel's, Joel Griffiths' father. Yep. They knew Brendan because Ryan and the Griffo brothers were Brendan's age group, right? Yep. So they played. And, and basically, Brendan got called up to play in the youth team, you know, through me push, letting him know, you know, but the guys knew about Brendan already. Yep. 
Brendy came up and basically played a year in the youth team. Bagged, I don't know, I think he bagged about, I don't know, quote me, 40 goals yep. in the youth team in that year one. Phenomenal. And um, and literally basically got offered a traineeship or an apprenticeship with um, Brett Holman, yep. who forged a good career, mad career. Um, and they were basically the initial or the inaugural apprenticeship holders of Paramount Power. And then I remember Brendan made his debut, which I was injured at the time, so he made his debut in the first team. Um, And then we only played, like, even throughout our whole career, we only played four or five games together. So you did have a, I think, a sort of, you did play with each other in that second year of Parramatta. So so what a, I guess it would have just been a special moment, not just for both of you, but the family as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Mum and Dad didn't have to travel to, to do different <laughs> games, right? They got to one game you know, and saw both of us play. But yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah, it was it was really good. And I mean, we sort of predominantly played on the same side of the field. Brendy was higher up the field on the right or up front, and you know, I'd be either playing at the you know in the back at the middle or I was out on the wing. Um, so yeah, like you know, sometimes it was a natural instinct just to look up and see where he was before yeah. you sort of looked at any other options. But yeah, it's just a natural natural thing really but yeah it was it was a cool experience yeah for whatever reason the coaches didn't play us a lot together um don't know why but it was just one of those things but yeah look we surely did we still talk about the few times but i mean we trained a heap together um so a lot of our banter and you know and and things and we used to we used to have a lot of fun training together yeah yeah that, that would have been special in itself so you you come uh, like you said that second season you didn't get as much game time as you want, and then you you come out of Parramatta Power and then you go back to Sydney United uh, yeah. for three seasons. Um, uh, how did that uh, come about, and 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 what were your thoughts going across back to Sydney United? Yeah, so it was a funny one. So at the time, Parramatta wanted to keep my brother. Um, they didn't want me though. Or well, they did, but on a reduced salary and you know less less opportunities. And do you think right? that was because of the injury that you had, or the oh, I don't know. less game time? I don't know. I don't know. It's that's you know every manager of a club has a vision and has a an idea yeah. of what they want to achieve, and and obviously I didn't at that time, and I want to be the first. I wasn't, wasn't the first, wasn't the last, right? That's yeah, the that's the nature of the game. Um, but yeah, it was a funny one. When my bro- like it was a time when my brother, but pretty much stuck his hand up and said, "Look, I don't care. I'm gonna. I want to play with my brother, and I want to go." So, salary-wise, it was on half when we went back to United. Um, we were both 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 basically playing for nothing. Um, but he put his hand up to come back, and we ended up both going as a package. <laughs> you know, packet of Tim Tams that never runs out, <laughs> and um, and we went back there, and yeah, we sort of played a couple couple seasons on and off but again like you know I had a few operations along the way in the in the next few years and yeah it seemed like your appearances just from looking at a, a stat sheet that you see online it yeah. looked like there was yeah. reduced game time yeah period. I play like five or six games and then I remember we played Perth Glory over there and we're losing 3-0 and I went to cross whip a cross in and I got hit late and I ripped every ligament out of my ankle and basically had to have an op for that one and then came back and then a month later there was something not picked up in the initial diagnosis and I had to go in for another one and get some more bone removed so it was literally the first year of that going back was I didn't play and then you know recovery in the off season came back played a little bit of the second season and then um and then got the opportunity to go to Malaysia 
So in those uh, three seasons um, with Sydney United, who, who was coaching at the time and, and what are some yeah, of the other, we had a other, other playing group that you can recall yeah, that we you had, played with? Yeah, we had a heap of... Um, like the first year back, um, we had a Croatian base or a Croatian coach from overseas, yep. Christian Miganto, his name was. He didn't lie, he got sacked at, at the end of pre-season. And then Branko Chalena came in. And then Branko took us uh, pretty short for the whole season. Um, so, yeah, so Branko took us for that for that year, and we had some great. We had a great team. Like we had, we had, um, we had Brett Hughes in goals and yeah. John Perosh the yeah. old days. We had um, trying to think of who was who was there. Richie, I think Richie Plesher and Joey Joey came back from from Parramatta. We had Krishnamir Marusic. We had Ante Milicic. We had Ante Morich, We had Paul Balokapic. Like, some quality players. We had a gun there. team, you know. There was myself. There was um, Noel Arate was in the side. Ante Jewel was in the side. Um, Joe Morich, Ante's brother, was in the side. So my the, brother was there. Like, the results we had didn't a great really nah, we dictate didn't. what was on paper. Christian Marusic. I don't know if I mentioned him. He yeah. was in the team. So we had a we had a gun team on paper, but it was just just I don't know, just one of those things. Yeah, like it just didn't. We, we were a bit down on luck that year, really. Like. Every time we slipped up, someone scored. Like, it was just no... There was no reprieve. Yep. It was just one of those years, really. Yeah. And um, the other two years, did Branko still coach then? Or? Nah, so Brank, um, Branko left. We had um, Grant Lee. Yep. So an old, an old NSL guy who played back in the old NSL with Olympic. Um, so Grant Lee took over for the second year, or second part, third year. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that was the time where I... Brandy... I think Brendy went to Singapore at some point, and I went. I went to Malaysia at some point. So, how does that um, that come about? I, I guess at that point in time, um, your brother and, and there was quite a few others that um, uh, did go across into Asia. Yeah. How does that move transpire? Yeah, like, it's easy enough here at NSL level. You were at Parramatta. They say, "No, we want to put you at a reduced level," and then. You got in contact, or Sydney United got in contact with you. How does a you know look, look, a state in Malaysia? I think it's at the southern end yeah. of Malaysia. How do they get in yeah, contact so look, with you? Like you know, it's it's who you know, right? Yep. So we were playing with a guy called Itek Gensh. Yep. And Gensh, played over there back in the day, and pretty much had the connections. Um, he played at Johor, um, yep. which was the club I went to, and he they were on the lookout for some for some Aussie guys and. Um, myself and Noel Arate went over initially. Um, Daniel Watkins, another Aussie guy who we grew up playing with, you know, against each other and everything through the rep teams and that. And so, yeah, the three of us ended up living together over there and playing for Johor. But it was all through, through you know, and Genshi was the middleman between it all. So what was that like, I guess, in, as part of the under-23s? You'd gone to Singapore, so you'd had sort of an Asian experience there. But, yep. But now um, this wasn't just part of a sort of Ollie Roo camp, this was full-time gig, and, yep. and what was it like, and, and you know, another culture, yeah, yeah. another league, so you've got a lot to learn, yeah, for me, how was it? For me, it was epic, for me, when I look back, it was it was one of the best seasons of football that I've had, like, not just football, just life, yep. like, in respect of, I learned so much about myself over there, you know, when you're in another environment, you're in another climate, um, I was married, like, Vic and I just got married a, um, a year before that. Yeah, I was going to ask. So we literally that. we moved into our house. We built, we were renovated and built our house. And I moved to Malaysia the following week after we got the keys. Right. So it was 
Um, She's definitely a keeper then. Yeah, I think she loved the space. <laughs> well, she told me anyway. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was an epic time, right? It was just just adjusting. Um, I, I really embraced it, you know, and I sort of I, it was where I came out. It was probably the first part of my sporting career where I came out as that leader, um, where I got over there. And I don't know what just clicked. The instinct just clicked into me. So first session, I remember I was basically went over without a trial, right? So I went over. All I had to do was a couple training sessions. And the first training session, I was with the centre-backs. We played a game, and I just pulled one of the centre-backs over, who was the captain of them at the time. And I just sort of instructed, you know, why don't you do this instead of doing this? And the coaches saw this from day one. And literally, we went in pre-season camp and um, press conference to announce the new season and the captain, and my name got called out as, as the club captain. So it was, it was pretty awesome, yeah. And and the league itself, I guess you played NSL, and I guess you can't compare apples and oranges, but it was still a decent standard. It was okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, there were a lot of foreigners over there, yeah. right? a lot of um, Brazilians, a lot of African guys. Yep. Um, so a lot of Croatian and Bosnian guys too, um, from back from their respective countries. So you know there was always a challenge. Like I mean, I was playing at the back, and you know I was, all I was doing was marking six and a half, seven foot African guys who were just monsters, right? But it le- I learned so much. I learned how to how to get jump in the air better. I was beating them in headers just by just practice, right? Yeah. Um, and just fine tuning your craft and. And then obviously the leading instincts came out, and it was just was in my was in my element, you know. And it was it was cool. And my dream was always to play overseas, you know. It didn't matter where. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the league comparing comparing a, a, the um, the Malaysian league to to the NSL as a, as an as a whole probably better here. Um, physical here, not as physical over there. So the physical challenges were for the foreigners because you generally got matched up with the foreigners. Yep. Right? Because the locals are a little bit inferior in respect to size and physical capabilities. Um, but yeah, it was... In more ways than one, it was just different and... Yeah. I guess uh, from uh, Googling Johor, which is a state in the southern part, um, what was the environment like? Yeah, so we, we lived in a condominium. So pretty much our... Condé was where we where we basically did it and where we where we chilled out and we had you know a swimming pool there we had um, we had gym there we had ping pong tables and everything else and we had a we had a restaurant about five hundred meters down the road owned by Singaporeans um, which you know we used to go there and eat th- three course meals for ten dollars Aussie like so we pretty much just ate there most of the time. Um, but our dailies, you know, because of the heat, we train in the mornings early on, 7.30 in the morning. If we do a double session, we train, you know, middle, late afternoon. It was frying hot, didn't matter what time of day it was. Um, but a lot of our downtime was just spent in a shopping centre, sitting at a cafe, just in the air conditioning, you know, sculling water by the minute. Um, and that was that was life. It was just football. And there wasn't um, a chance to play a second year there, or was the your marriage or, or coming home more important to you? Was, yeah, is that pretty much. It, it got to you a point. could have stayed there if you wanted to? If I wanted to, I could have, but yeah. I just, I just, I pretty much had enough, yeah, and I, it wasn't right. Like, I wanted to, the A-League was in that, is yeah, in the, the start-up NSL phase. I guess, had a year, it finished. It was like a year off. off, yeah, so that was, that was, I, I, I finished up 
from the season in May, I think it was May, in Malaysia, um, May, June, somewhere there. Um, and then the A-League wasn't kicking off till October, I think. And there was limited opportunities for me. And probably probably teams. my choice rather than anything else, where I didn't really push it. Um, because I just wanted to, I just wanted to start a new phase of life, basically, with you know, with my wife. Um, I'd started studying the accounting field back when I finished high school. But while I was that first year at Sydney United, yeah. I was sort of doing a little bit of um, part-time study, yeah. and I just was ready to start the new phase. I mean, yeah, it bugged me a bit because I wanted to keep playing on, but you know, I came here and played played locally in, in our Premier League. Here. So, at South Coast United. Um the local club here did you play in that 2004 season a little bit because they were in the first division yeah so I didn't play first division at all no you didn't play it you just came back I came into the following year yeah Yeah. and and I guess um, you know uh, you talk about that leadership quality and and when you came in in 2005 you were captain coach so was was that um, something you wanted or is that something uh, the committee had thought, well, well, well so we've got this first, great asset here. Yeah, so the first season I came back, I was actually just playing, right? Okay. So George George Alicon was coaching. Yep. Um, so I pretty much just played under George for that year one. And then the club made, it, obviously, a decision that they wanted me to, to take the reins. Man, I was 24. Yeah, hadn't so coached in the past. But, you know, I was a leader, right? Um, but I've always been a real analytical guy, you know, even when I was at the RAS, you know, part of the learning experience in education was, you know, you did a lot of shape work, you did a lot of work, and, and I basically used to listen to every guy instruction. So, you know, whether it was up front, midfielder, defender, yeah. I'd be listening to what, it, what the coaches were saying to every single person. So I sort of took in, rather than just my own education, I took it in collectively. And I basically just transformed a lot of that knowledge when I basically started coaching and implemented, I mean, funny enough, there weren't many teams playing with a back four back then. It was always a three with a sweeper. Mm-hmm. Pretty much came in and we played with a back four, four the old standard four four two, yeah. right? Um, so I taught the, the taught the players a new system. Um, it was cool, and that was my first year of coaching. So it was it was it was an awesome time. I had a great seven years coaching there. I mean, it took up a lot of time. Don't get me wrong, because I, I don't, if I do something, I, yeah. I'm all in, right? I'm not one that's going to half ass. I'm I'm all in, um, so yeah, it was it was a lot of time, but it was it was personally satisfying as well. And um, I guess uh, outside of soccer, uh, personally, you I guess you were more happy. You're back home and and professionally, you, like you said, you were sort of moving forward in that part of your life. So um, I guess the uh, little negative of wanting to play in the A League didn't really matter too much to you. Yeah, not really. Yeah, I sort of... I mean, look, it still irks me at times that I wish... You know, I mean, you never want to live with regret, right? But I made that that choice and I lived by it where I made that call when I came back that I didn't want to pursue full-time anymore. But part of me, you know, you see all the crowds in the A-League now, you see the exposure, you see the... You know, I see them talk to my brother about the environments that they've got and all the resources and all the facilities and everything that they've got. It was different from and the NSL. Days. And it's, it's the stuff you dreamed of. It's the yeah. stuff you wanted to have when you're playing at that, that, at that level. Right? Well, you had it a little bit, I guess, at Parramatta Power. A little taste of it. Yep. A little taste of it, you know. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's probably the part which you wish you had. And the opportunity, you know, being on TV. Yep. Mainstream TV, you know. You know, the, the exposure, the, 
as an athlete, you that's what you, that's what you you want, right, out of your game. And and I suppose the satisfying part for me is that we're actually being able to attain it as a game here. Yeah, definitely. You know, so. You know, you go back to NSL days and you walk through the middle of Wollongong and no one would have known who the hell you are, right? <laughs> just the way it is. But and, and and in some ways, like you know, the guys who are the elite guys don't like that either. You know, so it's it's a balancing act. But you'd rather have that exposure and and that profile than not have it. That experience, yeah. So South Coast United uh, captain coach all the way through, and and you know, you did pretty well uh, against, as you know, it's. It's a hard league when you don't have money, um, so you did. You must be pretty proud of of being part of, I guess, another Croatian club as well, and and keeping them in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And and developing kids, I guess, you're giving them what you'd been imparted as a player, but you sort of simultaneously recorded some of that for your own coaching. Yeah, so yeah. you must have been happy with some of the development of the players that you saw. Yeah. In. Mate, the club I, itself. Yeah, I my most satisfying part of coaching was that a lot of the guys. I mean, you look at if you're talking to Laura Premier League now, right? You know, Chris, the group, the Valage boys, Greg, who's now coaching the club, um, Chris's brother, Marte Nimats is still there. Ricky Batakis was there for many years. Lance Barry was there with me for many years. Um, Dennis Djurjevic was there at the start. Um, Sash Demoski played a little bit with me as well the first few years. Um, but the same in, and and look, the club is and still was and still is limited financially, right? But I accepted that from day one, and I didn't go out. I was more about and and I was more, not about the result, so not about the result because when you put things into perspective in our league here, the amount of money you can spend for the for the reward that you get, and the the the, the detriment and harm that you put to a lot of people sponsors and everything yeah. right by chasing the dollar to fund your first grade team to win a five grand trophy at the end of the year yeah, that's right? right and I say to I say I, and I'll put this on record I say to my own club there comes a point which we're in the middle of now of really looking at why yeah. why are we functioning right we've got the facility happening up there now with the new artificial pitch and it's and it's probably it's happened for a reason because we need to really look at why we're functioning right we believe we've always been believed have a focus on youth development, bringing giving young guys the opportunity. Right when I was there, people were knocking on players were knocking on my door, coming wanting to come to the club. And the guys to this day, you talk about the Valleys and all, they they, they, con, con, they still have discussions at the pubs. Right, we can't believe that Santa didn't ping, bring him in, and he would have played my position. But my philosophy was always that I'd rather have. Good people at yeah, clubs that are committed, yeah. right? That are committed to the cause, rather than bringing in guys with egos and guys that put themselves before everyone else. Might only be there for a year right. or so. And part of coaching is you need to teach people, right? Yeah, that's right. So why bring in a, you know, people just and it depends. This is the the why factor. Why are you existing? Why you want to do what you want to do, right? Do you want to do you want to function every year to win a competition, right? Then you're going to go and handpick. You're going to get, have the biggest budget. Go to the club that's got the biggest budget and bring in all the best players and win the trophies. And not, not you won't even necessarily win the trophies, right? But we we as a club and I, my philosophy was to to mentor these kids, right? Yeah. Teach them about life, teach them about football, educate them. And now to this day. They're constantly telling me, I see them on a daily basis as well, and they, they, they're saying to me, Those, we, we still uphold the principles you taught us back in year one. 
and that must uh, make you feel pretty good. Oh, it's awesome. It's it's satisfying. It's 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 the best form of great. Uh, you know, you feel grateful. You know, it's 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 awesome. Like that's that's why I, that's personally why I do it. Like, you know, people talk about the money and financially. Like, I could have gone to other clubs and got ten times what I was getting where I was. Or you could have played state league or yeah. done other things. You know, well. But that's my choice, yep. right? That's my choice, and that's what I chose to do. Um, but it was for me that was the best best part of it. And when you're um, at South Coast United, um, and I find it, um, and I'd like your insight on it because I don't know too much of it. But um, either at the end of the season or at the start of the season, all the Croatian clubs get together and and have uh, a competition. Yes. Sort of a, I guess a FA Cup style competition with Croatian clubs, and I know the Macedonian clubs do it to a lesser extent. So. Uh, Tell us a bit about that and and uh, and what that means um, when those Croatian clubs get together. So it's an annual event. So it's the Australian Croatian football tournament, soccer tournament. It's over generally over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yep. um, and it's the last probably. It's been going for many many years, but the last probably I remember my, attending my first one. It was Wollongong host. We hosted it in Wollongong yep. back in '94, I think it was. Shit house weekend blowing a gale, right? Yep. But it was just, and and it's probably you know football is probably more secondary to it now. Yep. It's more the social aspect. Yep. Um, but it's it's massive. Like it's just you have thousands and thousands of people coming through the gates, and they're just there for the whole four days. Like it's and there's you know there's different from a football perspective. You know, there's Division One, Division Two. You got your old boys playing. Um, there's women's like it's it's pretty epic and and no one can really unless you go yep. no one can really understand how big it is yeah you know I've heard a lot about it and and so for you um, was that sort of a bit of an appeal going back to South Coast United when you did that you get to be part of events like that yeah look it's it's just the culture it's just the culture it's it's um it's just who the Croatians are and Football is is a massive part of of Croatia, and and even in Australia, like you know, you look at every place. There's a Croatian based club, yep. right? Football is just it's just the game over there, you know. That plus, um, you know, basketball and handball are the biggest sports over there. You know, I mean, you got judo, judo's man. There's, there's a lot of sports out there, but football is one of them, the biggest. Um, and I suppose you, know, you saw in the old NSL, you know, where a lot of Croatian, you know, clubs or players were. How many how many Socceroos were Croatian? Yeah, definitely. Based, you know, like it's just it's just in the blood, and yeah, but the tournaments are epic, and um, you know, and, and our kids experience it. You know, I've I've played in I've played in three three or four myself, um, but yeah, it's just it's just another it's another experience. And I guess it's um, slightly weird in the sense that, like you said, football is just the meeting point for everyone to get together yeah. so the football wouldn't be sort of cutthroat in a sense it would be still I guess competitive or, yeah, or look, is it a bit different you, or some get, clubs take it seriously get, you get some that are playing for sheep stations yeah yeah, yeah you get it you get a few um, but look that's you know some people come there to win yep. that's the nature of the game some people there to win the beer challenge you know like <laughs> it's just different and and what about um, and you've probably seen it more um, than most that some of these uh, ethnic diasporas that come across from different parts of the world um, 
their numbers drop off in terms of you know age groups people of your generation integrate more into society so um, the clubs are sort of slowly but surely becoming smaller Um, some of them not all Mm. so do you do you think that's sort of sad in one sense yeah look it's a generation change right and I think it's it's my generation um, with young kids who it's important to continue that tradition with them right not to make it their be all and end all, but it to to respect their heritage yep. and and even carry it, you know, carry it and carry the flag to an extent. You know, we're all Aussies, right? Yeah. But the foundation is there, and that's where their grandparents, it's where my parents, um, and and it's important that that culture remains in existence, right, Definitely. in the family household because it's special. Um, and you know, my kids are involved in the local Croatian community here, whether it's you know Croatian folklore, the dancing. Yep. Um, or whatever it is, you know, and now we're lucky enough that we've got junior, juniors playing Junior football team. at our club. So it's it's all maintaining and continuing on the the heritage, right? Within within reason, and and it's out of respect, you know. But I mean, for me, I missed out on all that. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't around it. So now I'm I'm into it because you know I went we went to Croatia for a family holiday this year. For the, it was my first time. My children were there. My wife was there. My mum and dad. My brother. Um, and we got to experience it all together and, and to see where my parents and grandparents grew up. Um, and that's important because you need to you need to understand where your roots really come from. And I guess when you're there, whether it be the, the sights, the sounds, it's visceral, you know, because you're there, yeah. you can then sort of translate yeah. some of what's been said to you in, in the past. Yeah, it's like, you know, things people say or the pieces of a puzzle sort of slot in line when you understand and you, you can put a picture to, to a story. Yeah, and I guess we're sort of coming to the end now. But you um, uh, coaching junior football, and yep. you talk about your kids. So uh, how do you find that? Yeah, it's um, it's it's I, I enjoy it, right? I wouldn't be coaching my son's team if if I didn't enjoy it, right? And I love and and it's it's about giving, right? Yep. So I I my son was coached by other coaches before me, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to these matches. Why, I'm gonna, why, why shouldn't I just coach the team and pass on all my knowledge yep. and coach and teach kids, right? So I I, um, I didn't want to do that at the start because I wanted to be a father. Yep. I wanted to go there. And there's times now where I wish I was just a father rather than yep. being a coach slash father in, a, in respect of a team. But um, I love it. I love it. And I love, to, I love seeing how far the kids have progressed. Um, I'm there with my son, whether he does my head in or not, right? <laughs> I'm We've there. All been there as I'm parents. there, right? I'm there, and it's and, and he'll realise that later on in life. And I get I get that satisfaction out of just being there and, and teach and teaching him, right? Because one day it'll all whether he whether he acknowledges it or not, it'll sink in. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love it. You know, I, I love coaching the kids, and it's 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 um, it's something that's natural for me. And it's to be honest, it's much more challenging than coaching first grade. Much more challenging. You know, you you're part babysitter yep. you've got behaviour you know kids are kids yeah that's right? right kids are kids and you quickly learn when you coach kids when you know you might plan a session right and you go I'm keen to nail this session with the kids five minutes in kids are everywhere you know they're, they're talking 12 year olds right yeah that's right and it's just it's a shambles and you go okay shutting it down let's play 4v4 games getting goals 
right? You, you quickly learn. And that's, that's the beauty of, beauty of it, whether it's coaching any side. You quickly learn to read your players, learn to read personalities, seeing when, you know, recognising that it, towards the end of the week, it's been a big week for the kids or big week at work. You know, the first team was saying, you know, big week of work for so, so many of the boys and you, you know not to push the boundaries too far. And when, um, what I've noticed talking to you over this last hour is, and then I sort of assumed it um, uh, looking at your career, but uh, more so the latter part of your time at South Coast United, but um, it seems that you definitely like that, um, and you said it sort of clicked in Malaysia at Johor, that that sort of uh, leadership aspect, that teaching, that sort of giving back, it sort of um, hit you at a younger age, where some people might get it, I guess, in their later 30s, 40s, 50s, and, and then do something. But for you, it happened in your mid-20s. Mm. You know, um, there's a lot of time left still in your life, yep. God willing, but yep. do you find yourself that, for you, this is just the start of of giving back. I know on your Instagram page I found it um, fascinating and positive in terms of sort of that um, engagement that you're trying to interact with people that follow you. Mm. So, um, you know, you must be wanting that part of you wants to give all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just um, that all a lot of that time up until 24, 25, um, I was always quiet, didn't really say too much. And then... Even now, like I'm 39 now, and I really feel like a lot of these things that I'm saying, you know, that I'm coming out now with my, you know, with the social yeah. stuff. It's it's stuff that I've been thinking for 15, 20 years, but I haven't voiced it, and I didn't voice it because I didn't want to be judged by people, yeah. right? Because I valued what people people's opinions over my over what I actually wanted to say, and what they would think about me, and I just. I've always been about educating. I want to help people. I want to. I want to give. It's not about getting any return. It's just about giving. It's about helping people to be to be better versions of themselves. And that's black. It's black and white. There's no ulterior. There's no yeah. ulterior motive or a hidden agenda here. It's just that's what it is. And you know, there's, there's you see it in our kids. You know, you see this the insecurities in our kids. And it, you know, it might stem from our kids. It might stem from my children, not personally with my children, yeah. but you see it day to day with kids, the young generation. You know, how many suicides are happening these days, right? Yeah. Um, why? Why is it all happening? Because people are kids are just being forced to live their lives and to believe in stuff that's not right by what they see on social. Yep. Yeah. Right. Social is. It's a social platform is the strongest opportunity that anybody can have in his current lifetime. Yeah, definitely. Right? But people within themselves don't use it correctly. Because they want, you know, they see you driving a Ferrari at 17 and they believe that they want a Ferrari now. You know? Because they don't want to have what the Joneses have got. Yep. Um, so, look, this is, it's all, we can talk for another few hours on this, right? But it's, it's um, for me, what I'm doing now is, is, giving right yeah. there's no expectation of anything getting coming back in return it's, it's giving it's giving people a, a realistic picture and a realistic outlook on how life is um, 
and a lot of it is coming through my a lot of it's come through my own experience so I'm pretty much voicing what I've experienced right and it's for me personally it's fantastic because every single day I'm developing myself through through what I listen to through what I watch through what I see you know observing just going to sit at a cafe and just observe listen yeah. it's not easy, like it's just observing and and you quickly learn what people's train of thoughts are and it seems to me that um, I find it positive um, and I'm sure you've got that feedback but it seems that there's really a, a big part of you that that wants to help whether it be in junior soccer or yeah. previously at South Coast United as, yeah. as a senior coach is it's a really big part of who you are that you like helping and, and educating and using what you've learned and, and trying to help others. Yeah, yeah so, for sure. I mean, know. you get you get a lot of... I mean, and this everyone's different, right? A lot of people are really introverted, like I was. And, you know, I, I didn't really want a voice or have an opinion, right? Um, and everyone's different. What I'm doing is not for everybody, you know? Um, and you have to find what avenue you communicate the best with and, and target it and do it, right? And, you know, I, my first video, right, way out of my comfort zone, right? I could I can sit in, stand in front of 5,000 people and do a speech for two hours. But doing a video of yourself, I've always had listening to myself and I've always had watching myself, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's the fear factor. But what, am, what are you scared of? Like, what, am I, what was I scared of? I do it and who cares, you know? Yeah. It's it's you get it's a learning process, Hardest right? Part and the best part is jumping. That's it. Yeah. Once you do it, you realise that it's and this has been sort of the philosophy all through it. It's you know, don't let don't let the fear of failing stop you from doing something, right? Yep. Because it's just part of your process. It's just part of your learning. And 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 now that we'll finish up, I know you've given a lot of your uh, holiday time up for this, and I appreciate it and respect it. Apart from junior football, is there a, a still a, a desire in you to? Um, I know you're probably still a fan, and 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 you know you spoke. Of your family still supporting your brother at an A league level um, while he's uh, dominating over there at Perth. But do you still feel the need to, at some point in time, um, dip your toe in the water again and, and potentially? coach at whatever level or you're just happy where you are at the moment and or do you see yourself more looking at sort of these education opportunities where you can not in soccer itself but elsewhere mm. where do you see your yeah, future look i i love i love coaching right but i just don't feel oh, it's my choice i don't want to dedicate the time to it yep. right so my strength and you know it ties into what i do for work and ties in now to the sort of the more, more the mentoring and the aspect. So I, I want to combine all the valuable things that I've got to offer, and you know put it towards educating players, put it towards um, educating clubs from a board level, and and making clubs better, and and you know finding that why at every different club, yep. right? Because every every club's different, right? Um, you know the club you're involved with, right? You chose, you guys chose to go down that path of being the first division and run at that point. And and I say to a lot of people, I go, I respect the decision that you young guys made over there a lot more than some of the other clubs' decisions making the Premier League, where they're fighting a battle, even our own. You know, yeah. I've had the, I've had multiple discussions with my own club about what you guys did with Bally, right? Um, so it's that's the sort of area of line that I want to get into. You know, running. You know, I'd love to run my own club. I'd love to, you know. I'd love to run my own club or provide provide 
multiple clubs with with that consultancy work where I'm sitting and being really hands-on, providing some player experience, providing business experience, obviously, with my line of work, um, and providing that package, right? An independent that gives that package. That's, that's, That's really what my focus is on the next 10 years. And that's why, like, with work, my social... Like I'm 39, but I, I just feel like I'm getting started. Yeah, it sounds silly, but it's that's how I feel right well, now. Well, you can tell in your posts, there's a real passion there. No. There's a real sort of yeah, yeah. I guess a, it's just a drive. It's in your eyes, yeah. I think. Yeah. If we uh, finalise up now and sort of say, um, uh, I could do that sort of 1980s, 1990s player profile, <laughs> but uh, what were your sort of key moments that you? Um, had as a player, I'm guessing just from what you talked before, that 98-99 season was probably just, you couldn't have scripted it better. Yep. Was that something that you look up upon now, or is it still the Unendera hearts that you look upon I think, favourably? I, I think every phase has its, like, a key moment or a key memory. Yep. Um, you know, the Unendera hearts, I mean, the first day, Parramatta Eel Sox, right? Yep. We'll go back to the Eel Sox. Um, you know... The experiences of my dad coaching me, good or bad, right? They they they're the more Unendera days, right? Yep. The the Illawarra rep days, eleven twelves, we won the state titles in year one, and we had a mad team, like Bales and all these boys, right? So, and we still talk about the the Wagga the Wagga days, right? Yep. Um, so that was that that period of time. The the middle of the Wolves era was just it's just more memories of, of the Brandon Park stuff, yep. you know, and getting sprinkled into the to the NSL stuff. Um, AIS was on another level on its own, right? Grand final, I suppose the Aussie teams in between. Yep. And then the grand final year, um, and, you know, Malaysia. Malaysia was another one. And then, you know, obviously the local chapter here. So it's been, yeah, every every phase of the career has had a memory or a key, key moment in it. Well, I think uh, that's a... A great way to end it, and and once again, I'd like to thank you for giving up your time uh, for my little pursuit here on Illawarra Soccer History and on the Football United for Soccer City Podcast. So thanks, Michael. Greatly appreciate your no time. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me again. Thanks, mate. Another episode completed and one more Illawarra soccer slash football story out into the public sphere. Thanks again to you, the listener, for listening. And you'll hear me in the near future with episode 8. I'm your host, Travis. Bye for now.